0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, Galatians two fifteen to 21 We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law then Christ died for no purpose. Um, Let's let's, uh, take a minute and just pray as we begin. Father, we just uh, commit this time to you. We pray that your spirit would guide us and Lord, that uh, that you would be the one who teach us and give clarity out of these words that have so much uh, theological depth and meaning. Uh, Lord, help us to understand what Paul is saying here as it has huge impact for our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this this account is is, a, is actually a, a continuation of uh, what we looked at with, with uh, Patrick's help last Sunday. And it's really unfortunate to break it here, uh, because what uh, what Paul is saying here is really a continuation of what he was saying to Peter. And if you were here last Sunday, you remember that uh, Paul says that he confronted Peter when Peter had come to Antioch with uh, and, and before. Uh, While he was there, Peter uh, initially uh, was sitting down and eating with Gentiles. And Peter being a Jewish Christian, um, and and we wouldn't think much of this. It's like, I don't know what the big deal was having lunch together. But um, Peter was comfortable fellowshipping and sitting down at a meal with these Gentile Christians. But a contingent of visitors came from Jerusalem, from James, from the church in Jerusalem, who were Jewish converts and coming from Jerusalem, like the center of Judaism. And when these guys show up, Peter uh, is a, in a bit of a conflict. And he, he changes his practice and inhabit, and he starts eating exclusively with this group of Jewish people. Uh, and behind that is that uh, Jewish law, the Old Testament actually, prohibited uh, Jews from eating with Gentiles. It was considered sin to eat with sinners. Uh, one of the great criticisms against Jesus as well. Um, and, and so uh, Paul confronts Peter and as Patrick shared last Sunday what's the issue is here is not just uh, kind of a, a, a disagreement about who you can eat with what's at stake here is the very core and center of what the gospel is right? that's what this is all about and Paul defends the gospel he's not just talking here about whether or not it's okay for Jews and Gentiles to eat but at the root of it is the very core of what the gospel is about Uh, and sadly uh, Patrick had to stop right there before Paul really launches into his full explanation and so in verses 15 through 21 Paul gives his explanation of why this is a big deal so the context is that that scene and we will look at it um, uh, and really get why this is the core of the gospel and why uh, it was wrong for Peter to uh, not, uh, to, to break fellowship with the Gentiles and to follow this kind of obscure old testament law now for us living in you know many thousands two thousand years after jesus it'd be easy for us to say well you know this is just a dispute a disagreement between jews way back a long time ago uh, most of us 99 percent of us do not come from a jewish background we are the gentiles you know and this is just not a big deal to us so it'd be easy to say this what makes this relevant well, this is relevant for a couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, because it explains our relationship to the Old Testament. And oftentimes I find that Christians are very confused about what it means for us in the New Testament to follow the Old Testament. And um, it's interesting as I talk with people and especially train uh, pastors here in Asia, the confusion about this. And it's funny because they they will be very adamant about following some Old Testament laws why? Because it's in the Bible. And it's the law, it's the commandment. you know. But then when you ask him about other commands, like, hey, I see you're eating pork. <laughs> oh, well, um, we're, we're New Testament Christians, right? We don't have to follow the Old Testament. And there's this kind of uh, schizophrenia, this bipolar two personality thing about how we view the Old Testament. And the, the problem is we don't really understand what the Old Testament is in relation to... A, in relationship to us as Christians, as New Testament followers of Jesus. And Paul's going to answer that for this. And if nothing else, when you walk out here at the end of the day, uh, you should be super clear on on your relationship to the Old Testament law. If you don't, then I have failed. right? And you can throw things at me. Second thing, um, also, it shows us, uh, it really shows us uh, a deep and rich understanding of what the gospel is. Right, we we will see that uh, the, the, the the deeper theology of what uh, what is at the heart of the gospel. So it'll help us understand that. And thirdly, it's going to show us how to live a, a new and different kind of life, a better kind of God glorifying life. Uh, really, apart, quite apart from uh, the Old Testament vision, the old covenant. Uh, and, and Paul very much contrasts the old covenant the old system with the new and the, his his main point here is that these two systems cannot mix right you can't you can't combine some of the old and some of the new it doesn't work that way he says you are either all in the old or all in the new and if you are in the new then you are dead to the old right that's the short answer but let's look at it let's unpack it a bit. Um, and he starts off by saying here, for um, we ourselves, and he's talking here about uh, Paul and Peter and those who were of Jewish descent, right? That's, that's the context here. Uh, and he's talking, imagine he's saying this to Peter, okay? He's, he's highlighting uh, his conversation with Peter. It's, I'm sure it's abbreviated, but, but this is the heart of what he says. So he says, we ourselves, Peter, you and I are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, uh, and that seems like kind of a hard statement but for Jewish people especially in Paul's day there was no such thing as a good Gentile <laughs> or a holy Gentile there was no such thing just being a Gentile made you a sinner and and the reason for that is that uh, they believed Jew, Jewish people uh, in, in Paul's day and much to this, this day believed that uh, your only hope to be right with God was following the, the law keeping the law so uh, Uh, Jewish people had a shot at it because they had the law but Gentiles didn't even have a shot at it because they didn't have the law so they were sinners partly because they probably sinned but secondly even if you had a perfectly upright moral Gentile who was a good person the Jews would say yeah they're still sinners because they don't have the law and without the law you are by default a sinner so that's, that's, that's the description there and that's Uh, kind of harsh but that's how they saw it right? your only hope is the law if you don't have the law you're done you're just a sinner that's all there is to it and so there was no such thing as a Gentile who was not a sinner so he says look we weren't Gentile sinners we're Jews we're people who born with the law yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law he says we know this Peter you and I know this that you cannot be justified by works of the law. And by works of the law, it's a a technical phrase that means not only just following the law, but in Paul's day, it had come to mean a set of prescribed activities that any good pious Jew would be involved in. And it, it had to do with things like circumcision, following the dietary laws and the laws about uncleanness, and being diligent to go worship in the temple. Right. And now, there's actually 613 laws, laws about all kinds of things. But they focused on some of these external things. And the, the idea was that, look, if you're a good Jew, you'll do these things. And if you're doing these things, then it's assumed you're, you're, you're doing all the rest, right? Uh, it's kind of like in our day, we, we might, uh, in, in, our, in our idea of it, think of what, what makes up a good Christian, and I, when I go to train uh, village pastors with Joshua and Lahu villages, I ask this, I, every time I, I'll ask them, what does it mean to be a good pastor? I'm a good Christian. And the pastors will say, well, go to church, don't drink alcohol or smoke, and give 10% of your offering at church, right? That's kind of like the criteria. And that's what it means to be a good Christian. And, of course, we try to explain to them that actually that may not have anything to do with being a good Christian, Right? For us, it might be, you know, you go to church and you look respectable. You kind of look the part. And if you look the part, well, you must do the rest of it, right? We kind of assume that. But we know it's not true. Just because you look the part doesn't mean you're doing the rest of it. And same thing for the Jews. They were doing the external things, but it didn't mean they were actually fulfilling the law. But uh, it it came to be expected that, oh, if you were doing the works of the law, uh, you're a good Jew, you are... uh, you're in, but Paul said, "No, no. We know that Peter. We know that uh, a person is not justified by these works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus." And he doesn't use the word "alone," but it's implied. Alone, by faith in you're justified by by faith in Christ Jesus alone. So we also, as Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Which is a quote from uh, Psalm 143. Psalm 143 says that no one can be justified by the law. Now to really unpack all that Paul is saying here, it's important that we look at a couple of key terms and understand their meaning. And and the one that uh, I really want to spend a couple of minutes highlighting is this term justified. Justified. Justified, Theological term that we don't use in everyday life or language. Uh, Chances are you seniors at Grace, I, don't, I doubt that any, any of your teachers said to you, I feel that you as a senior are now justified to graduate. Right? You could use that term, but you, know, you would think your teacher had like lost his, lost his mind or something. Like, I don't know what this is talking about, justified to graduate. right? Uh, we just don't use this word. And the reason is it's, a, it's primarily a legal term uh, that has a legal setting and context. Um, and, and the problem is that as, as Christians, we, 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 we got all these like really cool theological words, and for a lot of us, they just all get kind of blurred together as, as meaning the same thing. So there's justified, cated, sanctificationed, I mean, all these words we can't even pronounce, right? Uh, forgiven, redeemed, ransomed, justified, and, and we just kind of assume that it's all kind of synonyms, all of the same, just different words to say, well, you're saved, right? We kind of lump it all together. And the problem with that is we make uh, what Jesus did on the cross very flat and not deep. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he accomplished many things. They all result in our salvation. But each of these theological words uh, is distinct and, and portrays a different part of, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So justified is an important word. And it's very different than the word for forgiven. Uh, justified means that you are not guilty. You have been acquitted. You have been examined. And whatever crimes or charges were brought against you, the evidence was brought and looked at, and you were dis- determined to be not guilty. Forgiveness, on the other hand, means this. Forgiveness means... Crimes were brought against you. Charges were brought against you. And actually, you were found guilty. You were found guilty, but the judge decided to not make you pay for those crimes. Right? They waive the sentence, or they don't hold it over you. But justified means, no, you're guilty. I'm mean, Justified means, no, you're not guilty. right? Forgiveness means, yeah, you are guilty, but you don't pay the price. Justified means, no, you're not guilty. Right? And, and, and so uh, that's the distinction uh, t- to illustrate it um, in, in, in a, c- a couple of years ago a guy named Ricky Jackson was released from prison he was justified but he had been in prison for 39 years and when he was 18 years old he and a couple of his friends were arrested and charged with murdering Harold Franks who was selling um, um, money orders outside of a convenience store and and the the murder was quite brutal. Uh, they uh, s- splashed acid on his face, clubbed him, shot him several times and stole $425 in cash and fled. Uh, shortly after that, uh, Ricky Jackson was, was uh, arrested along with a couple of his friends and charged with the murder. There was no real evidence for this case. They never found a gun, they never found fingerprints, they never found any hard tangible evidence and there was only one witness And the witness was a 12-year-old boy named Eddie Vernon, uh, who said that he, uh, that Jackson did it. But uh, this 12-year-old Eddie was never able to identify Jackson or any of the others in a criminal lineup. He wasn't able to identify what he looked like. Uh, But in spite of that lack of evidence, three different juries convicted Jackson of murder and handed down a death sentence, death penalty. Uh, Jackson was never, and, and Jackson got the worst because he was the one that uh, Eddie Vernon said shot him several times, with the one with the gun. Um, so uh, Jackson went to jail and faced a death sentence uh, because of a te- technicality. He was never executed, but uh, was finally given a life sentence. Uh, 39 years went by, and during that time, he would send letters to people, uh, to journalists and to magazines and to important people saying, look, I didn't do this. Finally, uh, uh, a newspaper, a magazine, picked up the story and ran it. That uh, he claims he was innocent. Um, And among the readers of that article was Eddie Vernon's pastor. Thirty-nine years later, right when Eddie Vernon is now thirty-nine plus twelve, whatever that is, older. Right. Um, And his pastor talked to Eddie Vernon and he said, uh, "You know, did you did, did? Are you sure of your testimony?" Well, Eddie Vernon wasn't, and he said, "No, actually, I, I didn't see it. The police uh, coerced me into giving testimony against uh, Jackson. I have no idea what happened." So Eddie Vernon came forward and uh, met with uh, attorneys and lawyers and prosecutors, and eventually, in 2014, the charges against Jackson were dismissed, right? and he was justified. Right? He was proven not guilty. And so he got out of prison, not because he was forgiven, but because he wasn't actually guilty of the crime. And he had been wrongly put in jail all those years. He was justified. He was proven to be innocent of the crimes charged against him. He wasn't set free because he was forgiven, but because he wasn't guilty in the first place. That's justified. right? And Paul says that we... Uh, cannot be justified by works of the law, but that we can be justified through faith in Christ. So how is this possible? Because here's the reality. We all know this. Uh, we understand forgiveness. And, and for us, a lot of us, we can wrap our minds around forgiveness a lot easier because we know we're guilty. right? In fact, it is our guilt that often ca- we carry with us that burdens us. Right? We feel the pain and agony of knowing that we have failed morally. And, and we've uh, we have hurt people and we've done things that we know are wrong and that trouble our conscience and we know we're guilty. And so we, we love the idea of forgiveness because we know that yeah, I'm guilty but God has has covered that guilt and He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't give us the punishment we deserve which is His wrath. Um, but He forgives us. We get that. But And Jesus did that. Okay, This is not undoing that Jesus forgives. Jesus' blood... Forgives us of our sins, absolutely. But here Paul is arguing something very different. He's saying, not only are you forgiven, but actually, through Christ, you're not even guilty. You are not even guilty. Right? So great is the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Now, how, how does how is this possible? How is it possible that we could be made not guilty when we are guilty? Uh, well, Paul says. First of all, that we're not justified on the basis of works of the law. Okay? It cannot be because we have kept the law perfectly because we can't and we haven't. In fact, he, qu- he quotes uh, Psalm, Psalm 43, 143 here to say, uh, quote, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Under the law, Paul came to the realization that everybody falls short because everybody has broken the law at some point. And he says, yeah, you can talk about the works of the law that you're circumcised and you don't eat pork and you go to church every, every Sabbath. But if you talk about really keeping the law in its full intention, and this is Jesus all the time when, when the rich young ruler comes to him and he says, you know, I've been good. I've kept the law. What's keeping me from being saved? And Jesus unpacks the deeper meaning of the law. He says, no, you haven't kept the law, right? You have failed the law because you are greedy and selfish and you don't care about... The poor or the needy around you. Uh, you do not have God's love for people. Therefore, you have not kept the law. Okay? Um, uh, so Paul says you can't be justified by keeping the law. He says the only way is through faith in Christ. And the reality is that we are justified in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We are guilty, but when we put our faith in Christ, uh, our life is somehow... United with Jesus, we are somehow in Him, and we stand before God now, right this minute. If you are, if you have faith in Christ, you stand before God. God is our judge continually, and we stand before Him. And when God looks at your life, He does not see you as you; He sees you in Christ. So Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life; He fulfilled the law perfectly. He is the only human being who can ever say, "I am justified because I am not guilty of breaking the law in, in the slightest, tiniest piece, not one jot or tittle." And so, so Jesus, uh, God looks at you and I, and He sees the righteous life of Christ uh, applied to us, so that we are without guilt. Uh, and, and this, this. Being declared not guilty is comprehensive because of Christ. Past, present, and future. Uh, and, and it's a one-time event. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, the, the righteousness of Christ, His goodness, His, His uh, just, not guilty life is applied to us one time for all. So that our whole life, uh, all of our sin, all of our wrong, it's, it's erased from the record. It's expunged it's, it's removed it's it's wiped out right? and that is incredibly good news for us right um, if, if, if we are guilt if we feel guilt and we carry around the burden of, of guilt there is forgiveness but even better than that we are we are righteous before God righteousness and justice in the Greek they're very similar words and, and the idea is that once you've been made just you are then considered right with God right? Just like this uh, Ricky Jackson. Once he was acquitted and shown not guilty, he was set free where he could be in the right relationship with society. And even though he'd spent 39 years in jail, he wasn't on the outside as an ex-convict. He was on the outside as somebody wrongly accused. Right? And he had right relationship with the world and society. Right? He wasn't a criminal. He was innocent. Right? And so it is with you and I and God. We are right with God continually, uh, so, past sins are covered. Present sins right now, when God looks at you, He says, you are not guilty. And here's the amazing thing. It doesn't matter what you do from here forward. You can sin the worst possible sins. Right? You can mess up every single day. You can mess up every single hour. From now until the day you die, and God still sees you as uh, without guilt. right? Without Guilt as one who is completely innocent and free from sin, um, and, and that is not by the law. Right? Paul says this. This isn't possible through the law. It is possible only through being in Christ, um, uh, because He kept the law perfectly. But we cannot. Uh, and He says that ultimately, that we we obtain this, we 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 get the benefits of this. Through faith, right? It's through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ, uh, faith is simply accepting what Jesus has done for us uh, as absolutely true, and put our con- putting our confidence in His work to give us new life and access to God. Right? Faith is simply believing that what Jesus did uh, was, was 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 what He says. Right? That all the Scripture says about Jesus is true, and that it's enough. It's true and it's enough. Right? There's, there's no more required that in Jesus we have salvation. We have, we have been justified. We are right. We are forgiven. We are his children. Uh, we are without guilt. And we believe it's true. That's what faith is. Uh, one word about faith though. Uh, faith is not what saves us. Right? Faith is not what saves us. Jesus alone saves us. And there's nothing we can do. There's, and, and Paul says here, this, this whole thing about um, no works of the law. What, what that means is when, when, when we put our trust in Christ, there's no works on our part we can add to it. And this is where the problem was with Peter. Remember Peter, right? Uh, he decided that he needed to observe the law of separating himself from the Gentiles. Right? Uh, He was justified by Christ alone, but all of a sudden he decided, well, yeah, that's true, but uh, I'm still going to live like a Jew. I'm still going to make sure I'm doing the right things according to the law. And Paul's whole argument here is that you can't do that. And that's why he rebukes Peter. He says, look, you have to pick one system or the other, one covenant or the other. If you're going to live under the law, then you have to live under the law, and, and Christ does not count for you. But if you come under Christ, then guess what? You are not under the law. The law has no power over you. Right, so not only are we guilty, so here's the thing, here's the theology of Paul in this passage that we have to understand. Not only being justified does it mean that we are without guilt, but it means that we are without law. Right, we are out and apart from Old Testament law. So what is your relationship to the Old Testament law? Here's Paul's answer. You have none. You have no relationship to Old Testament law, none of it, right? None of it. Uh, we are not compelled. It, it has no demands on our life. That's bad news for somebody who doesn't like that. Yeah, I want that law, right? And we do want that law, right? But but the truth is, there is there's no precept, no law, no command in the Old Testament that that is lord over us. That we must meet its requirements or demands in order to be justified. And that's where Peter made a mistake. It wasn't that he didn't believe that Jesus' blood covered it for him. The problem was that he wanted to still do good things, do right things, to justify himself. See, it's not only our guilt and our sin that's a problem, it's our good deeds uh, to prove to God we are deserving. That's what gets us in trouble. Right? That, see God, I'm doing it. And for the Jews, you know, I've, I've been circumcised. I'm, I'm not eating pork. I'm, I'm being clean. I'm going to the, the temple every time I'm supposed to. I'm offering the right sacrifices. I'm not eating with Gentiles. I'm keeping myself clean. Paul, Paul says, no. No, it's either Jesus only or it's the law. You can't mix them. We are, we are, he says in a minute, we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law. It has no power, no voice, no say over our life. Right? So next time somebody says to you, well, I do this because in the Old Testament it says, you can cry out, can cry out with Paul, may it never be, <laughs> may it never be, right? Um, it is through faith alone. It is through faith in Christ alone. The only work that we bring to this It's actually not at work. It's faith. But the reason it's not at work is this. Faith doesn't actually save us. It's kind of like a boarding pass, right? You're going to go on a flight. A lot of you seniors are all going to be heading out pretty soon, going back to your home countries. And probably you already have a a ticket. And you're going to go to the airport. You're going to get a boarding pass. And it gives you a seat on the airplane. And I'm telling you, that boarding pass is important. Don't lose it, right? Because if you lose it, you're not getting on the plane, doesn't matter if you tell them, I already paid a lot of money. It's like, no, without the boarding pass, you're not getting on the plane. I don't care how much you paid. Right? You've got to have that boarding pass. It's the way you get on. But you know what? That boarding pass can't fly you anywhere. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna go from here to Australia just because you got the boarding pass. Right? It's the plane that does that. Right? The plane is the one that actually carries you and transports you to another place, right? So it is with Jesus. Faith is the boarding pass. You have to have it. But faith by itself is nothing. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It will not get you anywhere. It is Jesus alone that has, through His work on the cross, through His death, through His life, holy and perfect, laid out for us that, that transports us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Right? That gets us there. It's by putting our life in that airplane through faith, but it's, it's our life in Him that is effective. Um, so what is the justice of this what is the justice of being justified Uh, Paul says but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners is not Christ then a servant of sin Uh, and and those who were in Galatia the teachers in Galatians who were in Galatia who were uh, trying to teach false doctrine, uh, Paul anticipates their argument that, um, that what Paul is teaching here is actually unjust. It makes God and Jesus out to be accomplices with sin. And so he says, if, we're, if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, right, if, if we and, and, and this is what he says, to do that, to be justified in Christ, what Paul is saying is we have to ditch the law. And if we ditch the law, he says, we become just like Gentile sinners. If we endeavor to be justified, we too were found to be sinners. He says, if we as Jews ditch the law, that makes us just like Gentiles. Doesn't that make Jesus uh, an accomplice of sin? Uh, And we don't have time to go into the whole argument in depth, but he says no for a couple reasons. First, uh, he says it's because, uh, he says... Uh, that's not true. May it never be. Make anoint May it never be. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Um, which interpreted... Uh, it's not clear what he means there, but here's what he means. He's saying, if you choose to follow the law, the, the result of the law is it makes you a lawbreaker. That's the end result, right? There's no such thing as being made righteous through the law. All the law for you can do for you is make you a lawbreaker, a transgressor. So he's saying to them, if you want to follow the law, it's great, but um, it just makes you a sinner, right? So then is Jesus participating with, with sin because he's helping people who follow the law, right? So that's his first argument. Keeping the law only leads to sin and transgression. There's no other option because you can't keep the law perfectly. Secondly, he argues, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live with God. Second thing, he says this, the, sin, uh, the law makes you a transgressor. And the law also defines and tells you what the penalty of, that, uh, of breaking the law is. And it is what? It is not 10 years in prison. It is not uh, 50 lashes. It is not climbing to the top of 100 mountains on your, on your, on your hands and knees. He says, no, the penalty is death. Right? The law demands death. So he says, if you want to really be, this is, this is his argument here, is if you want to really be keeping the law, you want to take the law to its full extent, your only option is death. Because you broke the law, and the consequences are death. So he says to these people who want to follow the law, look, your only option is a death penalty. That's what the law requires and demands. Um, and then thirdly, he says, and guess what? Uh, through Christ, I have died to the law. Right? Through the law, I have died to the law. In other words, Jesus came knowing that the penalty that's, that, that's upon all of us for breaking the law is death. And so Jesus himself died to pay that penalty, right? to, to take that death sentence on himself. But of course, it wasn't for our guilt. It was for, I mean, It wasn't for his guilt. It was for ours. Uh, that he died. And so Paul says, um, through the law, I died to the law so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's unfortunate that in in our Bibles, verse 20 falls right in the middle of that sentence, but it's one sentence. In the Greek, it's one sentence. He says, I died to the law through the law. I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, How did we die to the law? Well, we died because we have been crucified with Christ what in the world does that mean I, I don't know that I actually know and I don't know if I can explain it but but we do know this when Jesus died he was crucified on our behalf he was a substitute for us and theologians use this word he was a substitute and his death was also vicarious big long word that simply means this that uh, when Jesus died, we died with him vicariously, right? Uh, something about his death, we participated in it, and we also died with him. And you may be sitting here this morning, and you may actually feel not that dead. Anybody feel dead this morning? A couple of you are looking a little dead, right? Uh, somebody poke them, make sure they're alive, right? Um, doesn't mean physically we died, But it does mean that that I, and Paul uses this big word, I, myself, me, my old person, who I was, not just my my physical body, but who I was at the core of my being, died with Christ specifically in reference to the law. And when Jesus died, he took the punishment of, of being lawbreakers on himself. And we participated in that punishment with Christ so that we too died with him. So Paul's whole argument is, here is that not only did Jesus justify us, but he made us dead to the law. Right? It no longer has any effect to us, partly because we're not guilty, but partly because we've paid the full penalty. Right? Another way you could be justified is to have fulfilled the legal sentence required of you. Um, but when the penalty is death, that's a little hard. <laughs> But it's not hard when we can do it in Christ. So you see, we're justified two ways in Christ. One, his perfect life uh, is applied to us when we are in him so that God sees the goodness of Jesus and his perfection, not our sin. But also we are justified because the full penalty of breaking the law has been paid. And, and it's been paid for me, right? And so we, we are set free, Right? Um, And and he says we do that to live a, a life to God. And that's really his third point, is that if you're under the law, it works as long as you never break the law. But if you break the law even once, it becomes your master, and you no longer live to God, you live to the law. And so his final argument is that we alone can really live to God because we are set free from the demands of the law. Uh, and we are free to live, to truly live to God. Okay, so coming to a close. Did you understand what Paul's saying here? Right? Do you understand the implications of what Jesus has done for you and I? Uh, we are not just forgiven. We are forgiven. But we are not just forgiven. We are so much more than forgiven. We are declared not guilty. And, and so that's why Paul says in another place, no one can bring an accusation against you. Right? There is therefore no, now no condemnation. Right? So, so when, when you sin, when you mess up, tomorrow morning when you get up and you're grouchy and you say the wrong thing to your wife or your kids or they say the wrong thing to you and you just explode on them and oh, you feel bad. Right? Before God... Right? That, that, that sin does not exist. Now, of course, p- for us to, to experience the cleansing and the, the freedom that we should from that, it, the Bible tells us we need to confess those sins. Right, We need to, f- to confess on a human level our day-to-day uh, sins that we know we do. We know we fail. We've got to understand that God doesn't just forgive them. He, he erases the record. Right? So it, it didn't exist. It didn't happen. And it didn't happen in his book. Um, we, are, we are righteous before God. Okay. Now the reality is, uh, and the scary part to this, and, and for those parents who, who have seniors who they're about to put on an airplane and send away to live all on their own, they're going, Tim, this is the worst possible thing you could ever say to our seniors right before they leave. To say, hey, just forget the rules in the Bible. You don't need the rules like, like, as, are we saying here that you can just live however you want? Is that what this means? To not be under the law doesn't mean we get to just live. We, don't have, we, can be, we can sin all we want. Is that what it means? Well, absolutely not. And again, Paul says, may it never be. Certainly not. Certainly not. Right? But we have to understand that things have changed for us in the new covenant. Uh, we, we are not given freedom to live however we want. Right? We, we can't just live like the world does we can't engage in in all the immoral uh, sexual and other things that the world engages in. that that is off limits for us right God does not call us to sin um, so you say, well now I'm confused right at first i wasn't had to follow the law, but now i I can't sin i'm so confused, right well here's the difference right um, Before. Our motivation was the law. Well, not us so much, maybe, as but for the Jewish people, for Peter and Paul, the motivation was keeping the law. But he says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not in the law, right? I, lived, I live this life here now by faith in the Son of God, in this active, living relationship with Jesus not in relationship to a dead, uh, heartless commandment. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I love how how Paul says here that the Son of God, Jesus, he loved me. Paul hardly ever uses that term when he speaks of Jesus' death. He He hardly ever makes it this intensely personal. But here he does. Paul says, uh, I put my faith. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. It is incredibly personal. Right? And and the problem the reason so many Christians can sin so easily is because exactly because they think they're still living under a commandment and not in a personal relationship with Jesus who died for them. Right? Uh, if we came to understand the personal nature of what Jesus did for us, and yet we talk about all these things and all this theology, and and the problem with theology is it can be super impersonal. Justified and righteous, and and I'm not guilty, and it's a court of law, and it's a judge, and it sounds all like this system. And it is. But it is more than that. It is incredibly personal. Um, I just watched a couple nights ago with my granddaughter's... uh, uh, a Diary of the Wimpy Kid, Part 2. Anybody seen The Diary of the Wimpy Kid, Part 2? Great movie, if you're in eighth grade, right? Um, actually, it's a good movie. And um, there's a couple great scenes in this movie where uh, the wimpy kid and his best friend get in all kinds of trouble for different things. And his his friend is actually a pretty good kid. Now, the wimpy kid just lives for trouble, and he lies all the time, and he just can't help but get in trouble, right? But uh, they go off on, a, on an outing with his friend's family uh, and, and they, they, they go to the boardwalk and they're in this amusement park and, and his, parents, his friends' parents tell him, uh, you, I want, you meet, meet us back here in one hour and don't ride on any scary rides, right? So two hours later, after riding the most scary, scary ride in the whole park, right, the parents finally find them and they're very, you know, we've been looking all over for you, we we're so worried for you, almost called the police, Right? And and you rode the scariest ride in the whole park. And and the mom says to the boy, I'm so disappointed in you. And you can just see this little boy was just crushed, right? And his and the parents walk away and and the wimpy kid says to his friend, Well that was that we got off that pretty easy. My parents would have just been like yelling at us forever. Right? And this kid says, Well, no, that wasn't easy. My parents are disappointed in me. And he says, For you Maybe it doesn't mean anything because you disappoint them all the time. <laughs> right? But he's crushed. And a little later in the movie, uh, the movie kid finally gets, I mean, all of his sin like, comes down on him all at one time and all of his mistakes in his life. He finally gets caught, right? And he and his dad are riding home in the truck, and his dad's not yelling, and, and, and the, he's not saying anything, in fact. It's one of those long, silent rides, right? <laughs> And finally, the wimpy kid says to his dad, are you mad at me? And the dad thinks, he says, no, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just really disappointed. And you can just see it just shoots like an arrow through that kid, you know. And, and for the first time, it's like he realized, you know, breaking the rules is impersonal. And getting in trouble messing up because I break the rules is just impersonal. And, and that didn't really affect him. But all of a sudden he knew, oh, I've disappointed my dad. And that's what Paul says here. You know, before you were living under the law, it was impersonal. Now uh, it's about your relationship with Jesus, who loved you, who loved me, and gave Himself for me. Right? And his, He lives in us now, so we have a different motivation. Now we are motivated by this love relationship we have with Jesus, who gave Him, He gave Himself for me, who loves us. And the reality is we want to please him. We don't want to disappoint him. Right? And the more personal Jesus comes to us and the more real his incredible sacrifice is to us, right, the harder it is to sin. Right? Uh, when we know what it costs. And, and so it's, it speaks a lot for us to not just make all of this empty laws and theology. It's not about the law. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Who loved me. He gave himself for me. For me. Not for Christians everywhere. For you personally. Jesus died for you. But also it gives us a different power, a different means to live out this life. He says, the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God. Uh, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not because we're motivated by the law, but we're now motivated by Jesus, whose very life is in us. In relationship and in power, Jesus is in us. Uh, The old me who's under the law has died and it's been replaced with the very living presence of Jesus, who gives us a new power. Uh, No longer should sin appeal to us like it did. Now, it still appeals, I'll grant you. It still appeals. And Satan still lies. Uh, But the power of sin is broken because the power of sin is in the law and in death, Paul says. But now we are separate from those things and we are in Christ. We are in Christ. So put away the law. Die to that old system of trying to do the good things to prove that you can perform well. And instead start living as a person who is face-to-face with Jesus, who gives Jesus an answer for everything in your life. Right? right now, face Jesus who died for you and say, Jesus, here's my life right now. We answer to him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand.